Hi guys, welcome to episode 6 of Hashtag The Life of a Surveyor. I finally, finally, finally managed to get the podcast onto Apple Podcasts, which is a great achievement because I've been trying for the past three weeks now to um, get it up on there and it's just been tedious and difficult and I had someone called Crystal um, who works for Apple who's been absolutely fantastic so shout out to Crystal at Apple Podcasts Connect who's actually managed to work her way through getting all the errors rectified and making sure the system works and getting the podcast on there all whilst having all the episodes and everything there as well so I didn't have to upload every single episode each time so finally it's on Apple now. So anyone that doesn't have Spotify or can't access Anchor can now listen to it on Apple Podcasts. It is free to listen. So, you know, I'm not going to make millions out of this, but uh, unfortunately it is free. So uh, you guys are costing me money. But um, you know, have a listen. Give me some feedback. Share the podcast. You know, if there's any content you want me to cover, please do let me know as ever. So this week, as you know, I'm an estates manager for a retailer. I don't know how well this is data protected and all that stuff. So I don't know whether I can name names, but most of you will know who it is. If you don't, let me up on LinkedIn and you'll find out who the hell I work for. But um, I've sort of worked in commercial property and in retail throughout my career. There's no sort of surprises there that it's going to be a retailer. I've worked with various retailers, so ranging from High Street Charity Shop to out of town retail park homewares retailer to my current one who is a supermarket that might be a big giveaway so yeah i mean you know there's loads of different sectors in retail as well um that you can sort of look at in property management as well so you know it could be high street out of town supermarket shopping centers but i thought in this episode what i'll do is just go through a few bits and bobs of what i deal with on a day-to-day basis not every day is the same you don't know what you're going to get put in front of you and what you're going to have to deal with so um, it is exciting and you know I'm not one of those people that can do the same thing day in day out so I think this role fits me very well a lot of it is sort of you know you look at what challenges are presented to you and you know you're kind of fighting fires a lot of the time my departmental director has this analogy of fighting fires you know put the fire out before it you know gets gets too worse and it gets to someone else further up the chain that's going to come back and say why haven't you dealt with it or you know it's ultimately things that sort of kick off come back to you anyway so one sort of example is you know if there's someone saying oh you haven't done this yet but you know i'm going to complain further up the chain who's your manager and stuff like you would do who's your manager i want to speak to your manager all right well you know at the end of the day the manager's going to come back to me and say deal with it so you know you might as well deal with me in the first place (laughs) not being stuck up or arrogant let me just put that out there yeah but that is how it works so you know don't don't sort of think by going further up the chain it's not going to come back to sort of me to deal with um so uh, let's look at a few of these issues and see what i sort of deal with day in day out so with property management you've got two sides to it you've got the landlord side so you're managing it as a landlord or you're managing it as a tenant now let me cover the tenant side first because i started off working tenant side and a lot of the work that you do is quite repetitive if you're sort of doing it tenant side because you you, all you're doing is making sure the building is kept as per the terms of your lease that you know you're complying with the terms of your lease now the lease will stipulate how you need to keep the building what your covenants are so examples would be making sure you pay your rent 
making sure you pay your service charge, making sure you pay insurance or you cover cover the required insurance for your own insurers, your own brokers. There's repairing covenants that you need to comply with. You've got rights that you've got. So, you know, make sure you don't sort of do anything that you don't have the right to do under, under the terms of your lease. Um, so, for example, using areas that you're not supposed to, which is quite a big, big occurrence in sort of property management for commercial properties. Uh, a good example would be in the service yard. So if you if you've got say you say you're in a in a in a sort of shopping precinct and you've got a row of shops. Say there's five shops and you've got a shared service yard in the back, and you will have I guarantee you, if you go on an inspection, you're a surveyor, property management surveyor, you go on an inspection. I guarantee you, you will find at least one breach of the rights within a lease. Now, what do I mean by that? Usually at the back of the lease you will have schedules one of the schedules is usually the rights granted and within that it will give you rights to lay services have access to services use a certain path or a road you've got rights to place bins because that's that's a huge thing you know you're not allowed to just plonk a bin anywhere you might think it's stupid and tiny little detail like that in the world of property and leases and landlord and tenants and stuff it's a big deal. If you're putting massive bins in the middle of the service yard, you you could well be breaching the lease. Well, you probably are breaching the lease. A, if you don't have the right to put a bin in the service yard in the first place, you're breaching the lease. And B, if it's not in the right location. Now, why does that matter? Well, A, it could be in the way of the other tenants. So they can't enjoy their property and their rights because you've caused a disruption, right? Secondly, practically, it's not correct to place a massive dumpster in the little service yard because other people or even your, your 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 operation has deliveries and usually these deliveries come in big arctic lorries and big arctic lorries have a wide turning circle now if there's a massive bin in the way the lorry's not going to be able to turn it'll be stuck and the driver is not going to be happy if he's got a reverse down a narrow service access road so practical point of view it's not good to do that either right and also you know having a bin in the middle it's, it's exposing to risks. It could be an insurance issue because anyone can just walk into the service yard if it's not a secure yard, chuck a few matches in there, you know, and the whole thing goes up in flames and you've got arson on your hands. So various issues like that. I mean, I know I'm sort of going to the extreme, but you know, it's a small thing, but it could turn into something massive. So you kind of got to make sure that you are complying with the rights you have been granted within the lease. So quite common, if I'm out on an inspection, that's one of the things I'll look out for because I know it's a small thing, but it could very, very easily turn into a big thing. So that, that's 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 a sort of example of how being working sort of tenant side, I'd, I'd sort of operate and think, and that's the mindset I'd go in with. What what am I doing in the pro- with the property that I shouldn't be doing, or is that right? Should that be there? You know, have we got permission to do that? Do I need to get permission to do that? In which case, we sort of you know we've mentioned license for alterations before, and you know licenses to occupy. Do I need that? So another sort of example would be if you want to display signage. You know, do you have the right to do that? Um, is it in the right place? Is it the right size? The right format? You know, have you got consent for it? Have you got planning permission for it? Kind of looking at all these things, and you're just making sure that you you've you've got it all well documented. And you, you're actually allowed to do it under the terms of your lease. Because remember what I said right at the start, when you're leasing a property, yes, you've got you know exclusive possession of it, but you don't own it. You're, you're occupying someone else's property, right? So you can't just go over to, say, your neighbor's house and start you know putting up, you know, uh, changing the facade to sort of bright orange because you like it. And, you know, you wouldn't do that. You can't because it's not your property. If you did yours, that's fine, right? But 
not your property. So again, extreme, but that's the sort of things we do. And then you kind of have things like making sure the property's working in an efficient way, it's fit for purpose. Is there any improvements that need doing? You know, is there, is there anything that's not working well that needs to be done? Is there any, any repairs that need doing that the landlord is responsible for? Is there any repairs that you need to do? And, you know, to so try and get facilities management involved and sort of maintenance teams. And then again, you know, you're kind of looking at the lease and the repairing obligations, who's responsible for it, who pays for it? You know, is it covered by a service charge? Service charge is a big thing as well. You know, I could do a whole podcast on service charge um, and I might well do that. You know, you're looking at, are you getting what you're paying for? So with service charges, you'll be sent a budget by the uh, property managers at the start of the year. Now it can be a calendar year or it could be a service charge year. It could be anything. It doesn't have to be sort of, you know, 1st of Jan to 31st of December. It could be anything. Um, there's no, there's no specific dates for a service charge year that has to be implemented and it could vary from site to site. Now service charges vary as well. So where there are common areas, it'll be a sort of shared estate. It would be covered by a service charge where the landlord provides various services and these are sort of set out in that service charge budget and listed out as a separate cost and exactly what is going to be done. Examples of which would include fabric repairs, car parking, cleaning, litter picking, snow clearance, landscaping, security. Yeah, that's just a few examples. So you have quite a few different things listed out and costs against each, right? So you have a budget cost, so that will kind of give you in a sort of ballpark figure of what you're going to be paying you know what they expect to sort of spend this service charge year on those things and then you have it apportioned between each tenant so you know again back to the row of shops if it's five shops you probably expect to pay 20 percent each but it does depend on the size of the property so it's usually split out by floor area and apportioned by percentage of floor area so the bigger your store the more you pay the smaller your store the less you pay uh, it could also be split out by rateable value, which when we look at business rates, we can sort of go into that. But your rateable value, you know, the higher your rateable value, the higher the apportionment um, that you pay to serve for, for service charge. So this will run for the whole year and you usually pay it sort of on a quarterly basis. So, you know, each quarter you get billed, usually with your rent. So you have a rent and service charge invoice come through. Make sure it's all sort of tallies up. Check that the rent is what your rent is in the lease and check that the service charge is as per the budget and as per what the lease says, because the service charge clause is usually the most negotiated clause between a tenant and a landlord when, when you're drafting a lease, because this is where the landlords, sneaky bastards, will try and um, sort of cram in as many things as they can think of under the sun to recharge to the tenant. So they're responsible to provide certain services and they're not defined, you know, it's not a definitive list and not, you know, it's not limited or anything. Yeah. So um, it could be anything that they sort of spend uh, within reason on the shared areas of the site and the site bits they're responsible for that can be put into the service charge, but it has to be put into the budget beforehand, explained to the tenants why you're doing it what the benefit is and it has to be approved by the tenants as well so if tenants don't agree with the budget they they do have the opportunity to dispute it and then you sort of argue between landlord and tenant and try and come to a solution to make sure that someone pays for it so you know you, you could be looking at sort of re-roofing the whole roof of the whole terrace you know that's a huge cost and it would probably be one of cost 
sort of you know, you're not going to be doing that every year it will be you know, maybe once every five ten years if that it could be once in the lifetime of the property so you just don't know but that would be another example of what would be included in the service charge budget and that would be huge cost because re-roofing isn't cheap um, and you know you'll have service charge consultants who will scrutinize the service charge budgets that you get and they will be able to sort of fight your case with the landlord and say why are you doing this have you gone out and gotten three identical quotes for, from three different contractors and you know has it been properly tendered and you know is this the best price you can get it for and all those questions that you would kind of want to ask if you do if you're doing something sort of in your house you would want to get the best value you know be it price or quality so you know these service charge consultants sort of act on behalf of tenants and landlords and make sure that you know both parties are getting the best for their money so when you're out on site, you're looking at service charge, you know, what's in the budget? Have they done it? Is there anything that needs to be done that needs to be reported back to the landlord or a managing agent and get that done under the service charge or under the landlord's cost or under your cost? You know, a lot of things sort of practically on site. And a lot of these things are common sense. You know, you're trying to get, the, you know, when you go shopping, you go into a site and, you know, you, you don't think about this, but, you know, it does make a difference. Are you going to shop in a shopping centre which has mould growing on the walls and, you know, in the car park, you've got high weeds and litter everywhere? No. And even if you do, you're not going to be happy. It will, it will have a sort of adverse effect on your, on your shopping experience. So, you know, as much as the um, retailers don't want that negative impact on their trade, the landlords don't want that too because you know their sites aren't going to work if the customers aren't coming in you know if it's a messy site and there's a nice clean one like half a mile down the road you're going to go to the nice clean one it's just human nature so landlords and tenants work together um to make sure that the site is as best presentable and you know best value for money and it attracts customers because that's what's going to make the business's money that's what's going to make the business's money to pay the rent and the service charge so everyone needs to work together we're all in the same boat so overall, that's that's kind of the tenantly side. And, you know, if you're doing any alterations and stuff, like I said, you need to sort of engage with um, the landlord, get consent and license for alterations, planning permissions, etc., etc. So most of it is just making sure you're being compliant with what you're allowed to do as per the lease. Now, as a landlord, I've re so my recent role, I'm acting as a landlord, so I get to see the other side. Um, and I'm not going to lie, I do quite like it. Before I had... Not hatred, but a dislikening to uh, landlords and anyone representing landlords. But now, because I'm acting as the landlord, I've kind of got to see what they're doing, why they're doing it, and you know, getting a better understanding. So it, it's quite good in a way that um, you know I've, I've got the experience of everything. So a lot of the landlord and tenant functions that I do within my role is I look at letting, so getting new lettings uh, agreed on my vacant sites. Uh, I do rent reviews, so every five years usually, or you know if it's a RPI uplift, it's usually every year, three years, five years. It depends again as per the lease. I'm doing rent reviews, lease renewals for leases that have come to an end, or if it's midway through the term and the tenant or the landlord uh, wants to extend the term and sort of have a rejig of the lease, you could do a regear. So I, I deal with those. I look at alienations. Now, this is not going out to space and sort of fighting zombies and apocalypse and aliens and all that. Alienation is disposing your, well, a tenant is able to dispose of their lease and pass on 
the obligations to either a subtenant or an assignee and we dealt with that in a previous podcast so flick back and you'll see what the hell i'm talking about so alienation sublettings dilapidations now that's a area where my direct line manager is an absolute pro at and i might get him onto the podcast um, at some point and just sort of give us a bit of a a half hour on um, dilapidations because he eats breathes sleeps dilapidations and sort of just as an overview of dilapidations what is it at the end of the lease you have to give the property back to the landlord so if you're the tenant you have to give the property back to the landlord in the condition that you received it it could be in a better condition because you've done some improvements but it cannot be in a worse condition than when you received the property. Now, this is often sort of backed up and supported by a schedule of condition. Now, a schedule of condition records, and it's usually about, uh, it's just hundreds of photos of the property. Now, when you take the property, I always recommend to my clients, take photos, hundreds of photos of the property. Go trigger happy on your, on your, on your camera and take as many photos as you can because when it comes to the end of the lease, you're going to be arguing over the smallest things and they'll charge you tens of thousands of pounds for a tiny hole in the wall. So when you get into a property, first thing you should do, take loads of photos. And I think this, this kind of applies for anything, really. If you're, if you're hiring a car, I've got this habit. I will take photos of it before I drive off the forecourt because I know they're going to come back and say, oh, that dent wasn't there before. Um, yes, it was. Here's a photo to prove it. Time stamped. There you go. Thank you very much. And you just don't have that argument. So take loads of photos. Do it. Get it. You could get a building surveyor to do it professionally, or you could just do it yourself. It doesn't have to be complex. Just photos of the building when you walk into it. Walk around it. Take photos. Cover every little thing, right? And then just document it. It could be on a CD. It could be printed out. You know, it doesn't have to be a high quality photo. Right. The higher the quality, the better, because it gives you more detail. But, you know, if you've got grainy photos, it gives the landlord more chances to argue and it'll rack up your bill at the end uh, when they serve you a terminal schedule of dilapidations. Now, another thing is landlords are able to serve an interim schedule of dilapidations. Now, this is sort of served at any time throughout the duration of the term of your lease. And it, you don't have to do the works. But it just sort of gives you a highlight as to what is coming your way come the end of the lease. And, you know, it could kind of give you an indication. If it's something serious, the landlord can serve interim schedule of the lapse and tell you to do the works. Um, if it's something serious and, you know, like the roof's caving in, you need to do it. Assuming that the roof is your responsibility, then you do need to do it. And they do have legal rights to make you do it. And you have to cover the costs. You have to cover the costs of the landlord's surveyor going out, preparing the report serving report and all the solicitor's cost as well. The tenant will have to bear the costs unless specified otherwise in the lease. Now I keep saying unless specified otherwise lease, but the lease governs everything, right? It's like the Bible. You need to go back and refer back to it for everything really. Even the smallest thing, you go back to the lease. Is it in the lease? Is there any mention of it? Yes fine that's what it is no okay well let's get some more advice or let's you know come to an agreement so the lease is absolutely paramount so that's a sort of brief overview of dilapidations uh what else do i do so uh, with with sort of the lettings rent reviews lease renewals alienation stuff um you know i could do i could either do it myself or i could choose to appoint agents um so it'd be a commercial letting agent 
it will be a rent review surveyor or a leasing surveyor. They're all charter surveyors, most of them. So, you know, they, they sort of specialize in landlord and tenant stuff. Um, a lot of them can be uh, arbitrators, which we'll go into in a later podcast, but they just have that little additional qualification, accreditation. Now, some of the sites I have are vacant sites. They're empty, all right? Now, this could be because it's surplus stock. Um, it could be because they're just not in an occupiable condition. Or it could be that we just no longer need it. Yeah, again, surplus stock. So what do I need to do with my void properties? Now, the biggest cost for a void property, apart from rent and potentially service charge, will be the business rates. So I'll go into this in more detail in another podcast. But I need to mitigate the rates liability as much as I can to make sure my client isn't forking out for the business rates that they, you know, they essentially could not avoid but could mitigate so there's there are various rates mitigation programs out there that could be implemented on the sites and as part of my role it, it kind of is to manage that process and make sure that the sites that are vacant or that can have sort of mothballed areas that have rates mitigated are actively being mitigated and manage that whole process Making sure that the sites are secure. Now, this could be through, you know, a security company going in, inspecting it once a week, once a day. It could be CCTV cameras. It could be motion detectors. It could be on-site guarding, living guards, caretakers, various things. So making sure that the property isn't vandalized, isn't damaged. Making sure that the property is in good repair. Because, yeah, you're not occupying it, but you've still got a liability under your lease to make sure the property is in good repair. So making sure that there's no frost damage, there's, you know, all the water systems are drained down, um, which will limit the risk of any leaks, you know, any, any, any frost in the, in the pipes. Making sure that, you know, the roof and the, hasn't got vegetation growing out of it, you know, is in the front of it, if there's landscaping around the back. Is that all, you know, being cut down? Uh, is it safe? And it kind of it kind of ties in with insurance as well. You've got certain res- sort of responsibilities and obligations you need to you need to comply with when it comes to insurance. And you know your insurer might specify you've got to do this, you've got to do that, you've got to drain down all the water systems, you've got to go and test the alarms. And well, you should be testing them anyway, but you know, you've got to test all the alarms and all the all the all the all the aircon systems and you know doing all your PPM, plan preventative maintenance regime so you know you've got to be doing that even though you're not physically occupying the property or it's not being used you've still got to maintain all the things and then finally looking at sort of a disposal strategy you know yeah we're not occupying it so can we get rid of it and that could be either by alienation could be by subletting or it could just be by agreeing a deal with the landlord and saying listen i'm not occupying it it's of no use to me do you want the property back and get a tenant in who's going to take better care of the property and you know you might get a better rent so you know looking at disposal strategy and sort of looking at the incentives coming up with an offer to the landlord you know sometimes you'd actually have to pay the landlord to take the property back i know it sounds stupid but you have to pay the landlord sometimes to say listen landlord i don't want this property now it's no use to me here's some money i know the sort of rent would have been this throughout the lifetime of the property say it was 10 million i'll give you two million quid take it off my hands please and you know, sometimes the landlord will agree to it because they're getting two million quid and they have the chance to get a tenant in who will potentially be paying a higher rent or, you know, at least they'll be maintaining the property a lot more. Um, because obviously an empty property doesn't appeal to sort of the general public. If you've got empty property within your shopping centre, it doesn't give the right impression as opposed to when if it, if it was occupied and you've got a trading tenant out of it. So 
you know, sometimes you do have to spend money. So that covers quite a lot of property management stuff, but there's still more. So another thing is insurance, making sure that the property is insured. Now, this could be either insured by the landlord and then they recharge you the cost of the premium, or you could go out and get your own uh, insurance. And that would mean sort of going out to brokers, getting the best cost, making sure that it's covered, it, you've got the adequate cover as specified within the lease. So usually with insurance, you will have the building insured and you should have adequate cover for covering three years. So 36 months usually worth of loss of rent now this is sometimes extended to 48 months but the norm is 36 months loss of rent so that should be covered as well now the main thing is you've got all appropriate risks covered and these these risks will be specified within the lease so you know you've got to cover storm damage flooding malicious damage sometimes you'll have you know acts of god in there and that's going to be covered so, yeah you've got insured risks and uninsured risks so you've got to make sure you've got the adequate cover on there so insurance is usually a big thing and again like the service charge you have insurance consultants who are able to scrutinize the premium and sort of go out and advise you that you know you should be paying this for this and you know making sure you're getting the best for your money and as well you know if, if the landlord covers your insurance they'll, they'll scrutinize that as well saying you know is this really what you should be insuring you're over insuring or you're under insuring and they'll argue that for you as well so you know these consultants do sort of charge a fee for it so it's sort of usually based on the level of saving they get but they do do a good job for their for their for their for their fee so usually good another sort of biggie is making sure that the payments are made on time so for your rent service charge insurance any other outgoings utilities making sure that payments have gone out on time um, and it's the correct payments and then you know if you're due to receive payments so if you're the landlord and you need to receive them you're making sure that all your payments are coming in on time and correct and that kind of goes into sort of making sure you're covering the levels of debt and making sure that you you know your tenants are paying what they should be if they're not why aren't they do you need to start racking interest onto their uh, late payments are they frequently paying late you know do they do they need to be sort of written to or spoken to and say listen what's going on do you need to change certain things do we need to look at putting you on a payment plan do we need to look at sort of giving you a rent concession um do i need to think about you know essentially kicking you out and getting a new tenant in because you're regularly paying late and it's not good or you're just not paying um i mean i've had a tenant where we've sort of he's had the property for i believe it was about four years and he's never paid a single penny worth of rent and he had sort of arrears racking up to about 200 odd thousand pounds you know and that's just not on so we unfortunately we did have to uh terminate the agreement and uh sending one his way so uh, we had to we had to forfeit the lease there so you kind of have a commercial rent arrears recovery so uh, as of the 6th of april 2014 there was a new scheme coming in place which is called cra commercial rent arrears recovery now this effectively works as it, it, it kind of gives you the right to go into court and 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 Sort of recover the arrears and get bailiffs out on site so you've got to serve notice correctly um, and it's only for rent so it can't be applied for service charge or insurance but effectively it, it gives you the right to go after the tenant and claim the money back if they don't pay you can effectively force them to either wind down so you can cause them to file for bankruptcy 
or forfeit the lease and you get the property back. Another thing you kind of need to look out for is when tenants go insolvent. Now, there's different types of insolvency, and I'm not going to go into much detail, but you've got administration, CVAs, so company voluntary agreements, receivership, voluntary liquidation, and bankruptcy. Now, in this day and age, there's a lot of companies going down the insolvency route because they simply can't survive. The retail market isn't great, and they just can't survive in the climate. Um, so I'm getting a lot of these notices to say that companies are going insolvent come across my desk. And that kind of puts you in a bit of a predicament as a landlord because, A, you're losing a tenant, and you know, in turn, you're probably going to lose that income that you were expecting. If they're in arrears, you're probably going to have to write it off unless you know you write to the receiver or you know the administrator and put in a claim. But again, you're probably going to get pence in the pound if that. So, you know, for for, for a landlord, companies becoming insolvent is a big concern. And sort of a way around it is to sort of when you're negotiating the lease in the beginning, you get some form of security or guarantee, and that could be by way of uh, rent deposit or have a guarantor. Now, data management is a big deal and data in property management is huge, right? If we don't have the right data, you're not going to get a lot of things. Now, data helps day-to-day on planning. So it's useful to have a CRM system that has all the data within it. And the more data you have, the better. But obviously with GDPR and stuff, um, you need to be careful of what you hold. Don't hold too much personal information unless you're you absolutely need it if you don't need it dispose of it so um, data is a huge thing and making sure the data is correct and up to date so when you do have these transactions happening when you've got a rent review make sure you update the data systems as well because you could be charging the old rent for months on end or you know quarters on end and you know no one's ever gone in and looked at it or changed it to update it and you could be losing out on a significant chunk of money you could of course you know charge a back rent and then you know but it just racks up arrears and stuff so making sure the data is correct is a huge huge deal and making sure it's all backed up and kept safe and it's shared with the correct people health and safety there's various things that sort of tie into this and a lot of it is common sense making sure things are safe for your occupiers so it could be the staff on site or the customers but it could be for anyone so you've got a few things to look out for one of the main things is asbestos now this is a huge deal because asbestos is life-threatening and and you know asbestosis is fatal so if a property is built beyond 2012 you need to keep a asbestos register and a plan to show where asbestos is present only a risk if the fibers are disturbed right now you don't have to remove it unless you know it's going to be disturbed right and it's a high risk then you do need to get rid of it you can encapsulate it and remove it and remove it safely through a approved contractor but you need to make sure that the fibers aren't disturbed because it's only fatal and harmful when the fibers are disturbed right air conditioning r22 refrigerant r22 was banned in air conditioning units since january 2015 now this is quite harmful more to the environment than to people but it's harmful, it's been banned, and if you do have it present, you just need to make sure it's tested correctly. Right? And even if you're disposing 
sort of air conditioning or refrigeration units. You need to make sure it's done by an approved contractor and done safely. Now, you've got occupier's liability. And this is governed by an occupier's liability act. And there's two acts. Occupier's liability act 1957 creates responsibility for the visitors to the property. And the occupier's liability act 1984 creates responsibility for non-visitors and i'm not going to go into it but a lot of it is just common sense and health and safety making sure that the site is safe now if you're doing a major refurbishment or a major build construction project you need to adhere to construction and design management regulations 2007 updated in 2015 now this is more commonly known as cdm regs and this is effectively risk assessment and planning to protect everyone involved in the construction. So this sort of sets out duty holders and holds people responsible and accountable for various things. And the main health and safety duties are held by the principal designer and the principal contractor. Now, I'm not going to go into this in too much detail because it's not something I specialize in, but it does need to be covered by someone who's competent and knows the CDM regs inside out. And, you know, you can have professional companies um, who are, you know, usually building surveyors that are able to do this for you. And the, the construction guys, the con construction teams, the construction companies aren't always the right people to adhere to CDM regs. So you need to make sure they understand it pro properly because you could be in for a serious, serious fine by the environmental health officers um, and also you do risk being imprisoned because it's no joke health and safety is no joke and a lot of the time like i said you're making sure that the sites are safe to use they're being used in the right way and everything's done as per the lease so property management in effect is making sure you read the lease you comply to the covenants that are in the lease and that's pretty much what property management is in a sort of roundabout way so you know, I've been rambling on for a while, but as an overview, that is pretty much what property management is. And now that, I know I've given you loads and loads of information, but I'll go into more detail into each and every one of those throughout various podcasts sort of in the future. So just keep an eye out for them. If there's anything you want me to go into more detail in, again, just let me know and I'll cover that in another podcast. Okay, so that was a very, very round robin overview of property management. Like I said, there's still a lot more I can talk about. And, you know, it's property management is what I do day in, day out. If you've got any questions at all, feel free to get in touch and give me a shout. Look me up Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook. I'm everywhere. Just give me a shout and I'll be more than happy to answer your questions. If there's anything you want me to cover in more detail, again, just let me know. So I think I've been rambling on for quite a while now. And you know what? You're probably bored of me, but I can't stress enough how thankful I am for each and every one of you listening to this. In all honesty, it's sort of, you know, it's gone above my expectations. I wasn't meant to be doing this much on this. It was just something I was doing to cure my COVID blues. And, you know, it's, it's I've had so much feedback say it's helping people um, and helping them understand what I do and what property management is and all the different things involved in property. So, you know, it's great that people are learning from it. And, you know, it, it, it just warms my heart to know that, you know, people are learning from me. So it's great. I feel like a property guru <laughs> um, but 
no honestly thank you all for listening please do share subscribe like you know all the usual shebang let people know this podcast is out there you know if there's someone looking to get into property or something get them to listen to this because it could be to their advantage as well they might learn something that they wouldn't usually think of so yeah just give us a shout now we're on spotify and apple Podcasts, so there's no reason why everyone can't hear it so please do spread the word please do subscribe please do like please do share and um until next time peace out people